Christ love compelling us, as, I'm sorry, conforming us and transforming our community. And that's why I just want to look at Christ's love comforting us. If you've got a Bible there, if you'd like to turn it to Psalm 34, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10 of that chapter. But the context of this chapter, which is, you won't necessarily get straight away from the, the words that he puts, uh, that we're going to read there, is that um, David has been facing great harm and difficulty. He has been anointed by Saul, but Paul, uh, by Samuel, Saul is still king. And Saul being jealous and aware that his kingship is going to end, is chasing David. And David is fearing for his life, so rather than trusting in God, he seeks to find comfort in another kingdom. So he goes to the next place um, near to him and seeks to, to be with them. But they recognize him. And they remember the song that David has killed hundreds, but, uh, sorry, Saul has killed hundreds, but David has killed thousands. So what does he do? He feigns insanity. You can read this in 2 Samuel 21, 1-15. So he feigns insanity to protect himself. And he um, seeks that they might be able to protect him. And so not only does he find himself in danger because of Saul's simple, jealous um, attitude, but also he finds himself in difficulty because he puts himself, he doesn't trust the Lord, he seeks to find help in, in, in another kingdom. Another king will protect him rather than God. And so he um, seeks refuge there. And he adds to his dilemma. But as we read this psalm, we don't read anything of the world. So in fact, we read the complete opposite. We read an exuberant celebration of who God is. We, we read an exciting... Um, declaration of his faith oh sorry, faith in God and his hope in God. So what is it that can move a man from despair to delight, from deceit to declaration, to shame to confidence, from calamity to comfort? Let's read this psalm together and see how David finds himself moving from the place that he is, not knowing what to do, lacking trust, to be able to say these wonderful words. It says this in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips, in my mouth. My song makes its boast to the Lord, that the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I saw the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look on him are radiant, and their faces shall never be put to shame. This poor man, uh, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, you his saints. For those who fear the Lord have no lack. The alliance may suffer want and hunger, 
but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. How did David move from fear to praise, despair to delight? He says, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. Seeking the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So simple an answer really, isn't it? When we find ourselves in troubles and difficulties, when there are things going on around us that we can't explain, when there are hardships in our health or in our circumstances, Paul says, as David says, seek the Lord. And it's so hard sometimes. Fear and pride and all sorts of other circumstances seem to get in the way of seeking the Lord in the times when we need him most. And I think it's something of our uh, human tendency, tendencies to seek to control our circumstances, to, to manage the outworking of our lives. We sometimes do that by planning and organising, sometimes we, we do that by um, uh, 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 trying to put things in, in, into place or go to other people, or seeking wisdom here and seeking wisdom there. Um, and yet here David says, I did all that. I, I, I relied on my own wisdom. I sought the help of the kingdoms. I, I sought refuge in other places. But in the end, I realized that the only place I could go, the only place I could go was the Lord. I think what David is trying to lead us to here is to, to remind us that seeking uh, God in the, in the most difficult times or seeking God in all of our times is the wisest thing to do. It's the thing that brings life, it's the thing that brings hope, it's the thing that brings celebration. It's the sort of thing that means that even though you are in those difficulties and they may not disappear, you are able to say, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His name will always be on my lips. I'll, I'll be able to exude joy. I'll be able to celebrate uh, his goodness even in the most difficult and dark times. Why? Because my hope is found in him. And so how does he seek the Lord? Well, verses 9 and 6 tell us a little bit how he does it. He says, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack no good thing. This poor man cried out. The start of seeking the Lord is to fear him. The only way we will ever seek the Lord is if we fear him. To fear him is a childlike reverence, it's an awe, it's respect, it's, it's, it's giving him the first place, it's recognizing he is awesome and he is great. And nowhere else will I find help apart from him. That's the sort of fear that we're talking about. A greatness, an ascribing a greatness to him, a respect of his person who is holy and right and just and good in all his ways. And if that is true, why would you not seek him? If you think he is good, right, perfect in all his ways, then he is the one that you would want to go to in times of difficulties. And yet, in our flesh, many times we'll wait until our own strength and our own energy and our own wisdom exhausts itself before we turn to him. David says to us, don't do that. Fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, they what? 
place, we go to him and recognize that they need him, they will lack no good thing. In verse 6 he says, this poor man cried out. This poor man will never seek the Lord unless we recognize our absolute need for him in every and all situation, even in the incidental things of life. When we realize that there's nothing good in me, but the only good thing in me, which is what Paul says, is Christ himself. His wisdom, any wisdom that I have, is wisdom that's come from Christ. Any good thing that's in me is Christ himself. And so it's only when we recognize not only who great he is, but how poor we are, that we will seek him. If pride remains in us, we will find it very difficult to ask God to help us. David wants to save us from the same sort of calamity that he got himself in. He wants us to, to recognize we should just always turn to the Lord, that we should seek him. And then we'll know he will help him. But also, we have to cry out. We must cry out like children saying, God, help me. I need your help today. You know, sometimes when we are just in relationships with people, there are people that we want to love, but we find them difficult to love. We need to cry out, Lord, help me. Sometimes there's a bitterness in our heart. We can't ever seem to get rid of it. Even though we bring it before the cross, it seems to come out. Every time somebody mentions their name, bang. There's a little bit of, you know, you don't want to speak well of them. We've got to cry out. We've got to cry out and say, how you know, I know that the feelings that I have and the way in which my mind is working, the attitude of my heart is not right. I need your help. Only by your grace can I be the sort of person that you're calling me to be. The same way that I came to you in faith and repentance and crying out to you is the same way that we continue every single day. Sometimes we think as Christians that once we've got ourselves sorted with Christ, he's justified us, he's made us righteous. That we now then go on, go on in our own strength. No. It's always by grace. It's always by faith in Him that we walk every step of every day in Him. So we must fear the Lord, we must recognize our total need for Him, and we must cry out to Him because He's the only one who's able to help us. So when we do that, we're told, when we seek him, we will discover some amazing things about him. And here in this passage, he pours out three things, a threefold witness to what the Lord has done in his own life that has led him to his praise. He said, this is what God does. If you want any confidence, if you want any reason to know why you should turn to him always, Here's what's happened, not only when you turn to him, but why you should turn to him. He says three things. So when we see the Lord, we will discover that he alone can save us. Verses 4 to 6, it says, I saw the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look up, look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. He saw the Lord and he was saved from all his fears.
from within in verse 4. And then he was delivered from all the troubles around him in verse 6. God's work of grace and mercy deliver us from all our fears without exception. Now that's a bold promise, is it not? That he can save us from all our fears. But this is the testimony of, of David. This is not exclusive to where David gets special treatment. This, this is the reality of walking with the living God who is the author of life, who is in charge of all things, who by his very word brought the word into being, who has got a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. He's, a, he's able, he's able to rescue us from all our fears. What would it be like in our life if we were able to experience that? The worry of financial commitments, the worry of relational breakdowns, the, the worries of not of a lack of an eternal uh, relationship with ourselves where we realize we're not the people that we want to be, the worry of what other people think about us, the anxieties of what will be or what won't be. What would it be like to be able to be live in such a way where all our fears have been taken away. This is the promise that David says when we seek the Lord he will take away all our fears. When we trust him, when we set our eyes fixed upon him we know that even good and bad times that nothing Nothing can separate us from his love. But we know that his plans are perfect, but even in difficult times, those plans are working for eternal ways of glory for us. They are changing us, they're transforming us, they're making us more like Christ. They're helping us trust him, fix our eyes upon him more. How wonderful it will be to live like that. And that's how he describes it. Those who look on him their faces are radiant. They are excited. They are full of joy. Why? Because they know the one who they can trust in every and all circumstance. The fruit of looking to him is being radiant. God wants you to know him in such a way that joy and celebration is always on your lips. That you are enjoying him so much you cannot stop talking about it. Why? Because he has delivered us, he has saved us, he has rescued us from all our calamities. So when we seek the Lord, we'll discover that he will save us, but also we will, if we, when we seek the Lord, we will discover that he keeps us. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. After the Lord saves us, He keeps us, and His angels protect us. It says, Here the covenant angel, the Lord Jesus, the head of the heavenly army, surrounds the Lord's people, those who fear Him, to serve, to defend, to console them, to keep them in their faith. We know very little about the unseen work of God. We don't really know how this uh, works and whether there are angels. Standing with us right now, whether we all have one angel or we have to share one, or you know how all that how that works. I won't presume to unpack that, but what we do know is that God sends His angels 
and sent his son, the angel of the Lord, to protect us, that our salvation is safe in him. <coughs> Taste it. 
That's okay going to a five-star Michelin restaurant and saying that food looks good. That food, you're only going to know if that food is good if you taste it. <coughs> you've got to taste and then you will see that it is good food. It may be overpriced, but it's good food. That's what he, that's what David wants us to, to know. Learn from me. Taste and see that he is good. This is not just a little nibble on God. This is a feeding, a feasting on God's word. 1 Peter, in Peter 1 Peter, Peter encourages the church, don't to be, be like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk, milk. That what? That it. That by it you may grow up into salvation. He's saying, look, taste and see. When you taste and see, you'll start to grow up in your love for Christ. The more you taste, the more you'll be satisfied. The more you satisfied, satisfied, the more you'll taste. David uses the example of the young lions. He's saying, look, young lions, they're strong, they're fit, they're active, they're cunning, they get their prey. But sometimes, even the fittest, the strongest, the most energetic, sometimes they go hungry. But let me promise you this, those who fear the Lord will never go hungry. Seek the Lord if you put your hope in Him, if you put your trust in Him, not just unto salvation, but unto Him to live out of your salvation every day. You will experience, uh, you will not experience lack, you will experience good over and over and over again. If we seek Him and look to Him, take refuge in Him, we will be blessed, refreshed. Like no good thing. No wonder David, in the first three verses of this psalm, is so pumped up with joy. Do you know what I'm saying? He's like, yes! God is good, God is great. And he responds to what God has done by saying, Let us praise together. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. God is worthy of praise at all times, in all situations, in all seasons. The praise of God should be on our lips as we experience Him, as we taste Him. We want to tell other people, God is good. He strengthened me in this particular time. I sought Him and He answered me with a, a word of truth. He showed me something about His character that I was able to hold on to. I knew you are good. I know that you're in control of this situation. Even though I can't see the end of it, I know that in the midst of it, you are good. It's bursting out, it's flowing out of a thankful heart. And that's what happens when we taste and see that it's good. Our heart becomes thankful, it becomes joyful, it becomes exuberant in praise. I apologise for, I don't apologise for my son, but I forgot that he likes to dance. That's his, he can't sing because he doesn't able to repeat the words. But he starts doing some dancing, does a little bit of ninja dancing. So I do have to kind of control him about the space that he can go into and what sort of moves that he can do. But, you know, um, he's, a, he's getting excited. That's his way of expressing his excitedness and worship. He does it. He didn't care. He didn't know you guys. He didn't care where he was. He just knew as soon as the music got on, that's when I started to do my dancing. You know, he was exuberant in his praise. 
For us, it may look different than that. Oh, it'd be interesting to see if it did look the same. Um, but the, out of the flow of a thankful heart comes praise. Yeah? <coughs> David said, if you taste and see, his praise will always be on your lips. It will be so precious to you. Jesus will be so precious to you. Jesus will be such an uh, enjoyment to you that you want to talk about him and sing about him. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. There is a, a, you know, this is the sort of boasting that's allowed. We're, we're allowed to boast in Christ. We're allowed to say how great he is. Sometimes in the world in which we live, we're told, don't talk about Christ, keep Christ to yourself. No, David's like, I'm, I'm going to boast about him. I'm going to say how great he is. I'm going to say how wonderful he is. I'm going to boast about his person. I'm going to boast about his attributes. I'm going to boast about this new covenant I've got with him. I'm going to boast about the promises, his works, which are, which are uh, unending and incomparable and unparalleled and matchless in this world. We boast in Christ because he is awesome. And that's why he's able to say, let the humble hear his boasting and be glad. The humble are glad when they boast the Lord because they recognize Christ is all they need. When we boast in Christ, we recognize we're kind of like not boasting in ourselves, aren't we? We're so prone to boast about ourselves. Our wisdom, our knowledge, our experience, the things we have, all the things we uh, aspire to have. And yet all that boasting is worthless. <coughs> Doesn't lead and get us anywhere. But boasting in the Lord, Lord will satisfy you. The more we see how great God is, the more satisfied we will be in him. And it's the same in our earthly relationships. When we speak well of one another, we become more satisfied with one another. Have you ever noticed when you talk, talk bad about somebody else, you become less satisfied with them? God wants us to speak well of him and one another so that in him we will be satisfied. And then finally, he says, come on, let's do this together. Let's not stop this on our own. Let, let, let not just be me standing before God with praise in my lips. I want you to join with me. Let's join together and magnify the Lord. <coughs> There's something special about the, the people of God coming together and in one voice, in one unison, for a whole number of different reasons, celebrating how great God is. He wants the celebration of God to go out beyond himself to all people. And when we boast about the Lord amongst people who don't know him, they will become interested in who he is. Why? Because they see us in genuine joy and celebration that he is real. He is good. He's not some abstract man up in the sky who's just going to hand over things in a general way. He is intimately involved in our lives and in uh, the world itself and he is trustworthy and he is the one who is able to change and transform renew us and captivate our hearts 
through salvation in Christ. In no one else, no one else is worthy to be praised. No one else is worthy to be exalted apart from Jesus Christ. So he says, come magnify the Lord with me. Come join me. Let's exalt his name together. David's wisdom to us is this. When I was in trouble, when life was difficult, when I exhausted all my own human attributes, I saw the Lord. But don't wait for that. Let us be people who fear God, who see Him rightly. Let us be people who recognize our lack and His abundance. Let us be people who cry out to Him. And when we cry out to Him, when we seek Him, what we will discover is that He will rescue us and save us from all our fears. And when we seek Him and look to Him, we will see that He's able to keep us in the midst of the most difficult situations when we can't keep ourselves. And when we look to Him and we seek His face, we will discover that we will be completely satisfied in Him in such a way that it will lead to our celebration, that it will lead to our boasting, that it will lead to our joy, that it will lead to the growth of His kingdom, that not only we do it, but others will join us in celebrating the awesomeness of our King and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. There is no one like Him, is there? No one in the heavens above or the earth below. No one has the power of authority over life, death, nature. No one has the power to speak a word and to cause someone to come alive. No one has the power to control the sea. Apart from Jesus. Why would we not put our trust in Him? Why would we not put our hope in Him? Not just in the big things, but in the everyday fears of life. Jesus says that we should seek teaches the disciples to pray, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Not mine will be done, but yours, he says. Mm -hmm. So when we seek God's will to be done, we will become satisfied. Is the wisdom of Psalm 34. David invites us to join him with him. I just want to just encourage Praise to him to acknowledge that he alone is worthy.